0: All right. Well, as has been the case in recent weeks, we have given you a lot to think about. We have given you a lot to take in and to process and to do something with. And uh, so it's been this morning. And so uh, I'm going to encourage us to just say a prayer right now that God helps us to digest. All right. Pray with me, Father. Thank you for all the input. Thank you for speaking, showing, revealing inspiring, generating in and around us. And we just confess that um, our lives are so crowded, there's so much stuff in us that uh, we don't always have room for this, and we don't know what to do with it. So help us. Process. Digest. Be energized by what you're doing with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good. Well, in a moment, I'm going to be reading from 1 John, chapter 5, if you want to get your Bible and open up near the end of the New Testament, and then we'll be looking at Leviticus, chapter 10. So you got to be uh, able to multitask a little bit, way over in the New Testament, and then back into the Old Testament. Uh, we are on a journey going through the Bible, and... Um, Many have begun this journey on January 1, and uh, for those of you that have yet to join the journey, today is a perfect time for you to get in the journey. Please join us. Uh, we have a reading plan that we're going by. You read just a little bit every day, and acro- across the year you'll have read through the whole Bible. The reading plan is found on our website. Just go to Metalbrookchurch.com and click the icon that shows about the Read the Bible uh, journey. And there you will see a Read the Bible for Life reading plan. We're on week seven, starting today. And I'm going to be sharing some thoughts with you that will help you navigate where you go through week seven. This is uh, some of the more challenging reading that you're going to have across the whole year. So let me say it to you this way. um, In a lot of ways, it gets easier after this week. So if you start kind of getting into this week and going, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm going to do, uh, it gets better. It gets easier. Uh, And one of the reasons why this week will be of some challenge to you is because we're going to be in the latter chapters of Exodus and we'll be into Leviticus and there is a lot of law, a lot of rules, a lot of regulations. And at some point you'll begin to uh, mumble to your... (laughs) Why am I reading this? Why is this important? How can this be any more irrelevant to my life than what it appears to be? For example, you will uh, see God command about consecrating priests. About making an altar of incense. About taking a census of the people and then imposing a tax on them. About making the basin of bronze so that there could be proper washing and cleansing in the worship area. About anointing with oil the tabernacle. About anointing with oil the Ark of the Covenant. That box that goes inside the tabernacle. You're going to uh, see him call for a keeping of the Sabbath. And that's just a quick beginning. Because then he's going to begin to give instructions. And he's going to instruct about how to set up and make use of the tabernacle, how uh, to make use of the ark. He's going to give instructions about uh, how to construct and make and uh, utilize the basins that will hold the, the water, the candle stands, the priestly garments. There's a certain way that they've got to look. There's a certain uh, kind of message that they convey. And he's not through with the instructions. He'll continue to instruct on then how to perform various acts of worship and ritual When you gather, such as the grain offerings, the peace offerings, the sin offerings, the guilt offerings. You getting excited? (laughs) Can't wait to jump in there. So how many of you ever played uh, a sport that involved a stick and a ball? A little baseball, a little golf? You know that uh, it's pretty basic that when you swing the stick, whether it's a bat or a golf club, You want to hit the ball and you want to see it go some distance. It's that simple. But there are a lot of complexities that go along with that simplicity. For example, what your eyes do when you swing has everything to do with how well or not you hit the ball. So you don't want to be looking where the ball might go, right? You want to be looking right at the ball until the bat or the club hits it. I could go on and on and on about the stance of feet, posture, breathing, all kinds of things. And so it is with all of these laws and instructions and rules and regulations and rituals and practices, etc. Basically, this is all about God having a relationship with people. That's pretty simple. But because we are busted, because we are broken, because we have gotten lost and we're meandering away from God in a variety of ways, He has placed some things in and around us that can keep us on track, that can keep us focused, that can keep the eye on the ball, if you will. Now, let me say one other word before we get into uh, unpacking some of it. For an Old Testament Hebrew to practice and keep the law was not about establishing a relationship with God. Okay? Establishing a relationship with God came to Hebrews by way of a promise. God promised Abraham and his descendants, I will have a relationship with you. And it will be of such commitment, we will have a covenant together. Okay? So as we are in relationship, then I want you to demonstrate that you're in relationship with me, and I want you to show your faith in me, By living in a certain kind of way. We don't live in a certain kind of way so we get relationship. We live in a certain kind of way because we have relationship. You follow that big difference? That's a big difference. And the same thing is true in the New Testament when that promise is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. So in order to cast a little... New Testament light onto the Old Testament readings that we're going to be into this week, I'm going to invite you to consider some things that Paul told us about the law. And in Galatians chapter 3, he helps us to understand that it was never the intent of the law to be the performance track by which we could gain or earn relationship with God. Rather, he says, the law... Was our guardian. If you have the old King James Version, schoolmaster. If you read the New American Standard, tutor, teacher. The law was something that was to point us to God and what relationship with God can be about and what it can look like. It was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Relationship with God has always been a matter of faith, not performance. Those that began to move into the covenant with God through Abraham did so with a faith that looked forward to its ultimate completion in a Messiah. Those that believed God and had faith that God was working redemptively to forgive them of their sins and to save them from their condemnation were looking forward to His ultimate deliverance in the fulfillment of the promise in the person of Christ. And the practice of those laws was like a guide. It was like a guardian or a teacher or a schoolmaster that said, here's how busted you are. Here's how broken you are. Here's how hopeless you are, unless God does a saving work for you. Unless God atones for and forgives and reconciles. And so all of those offerings... All of those rituals, all of those festivals, all of those remembrances were foreshadowing who Jesus would be and what Jesus would do. And so by the time you get to the New Testament and you you look at the life of Jesus, you are looking at the embodiment of everything you find in Exodus and Leviticus. He is the priest that mediates all these things for us. And not only that, he is the offering. He's the lamb that was slain. It's his shed blood that brings the remission and the forgiveness and the atonement for sin. So Paul says now that faith has come, New Testament thinking, post Jesus' resurrection, now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ you are all sons of God through faith. So, as you're going through the readings this week, and you're reading about this offering, that offering, another offering, you just have to think, Jesus. Jesus is that offering, Jesus is that sacrifice. And all the stuff that the priest has to go through with all the meticulous detail, Jesus is that priest. You just think Jesus, Jesus, Jesus through all of it that you are reading because He is both the fulfillment and the embodiment of it all. These are all tutorials pointing us to Jesus. Now, that brings us to 1 John. Because the Apostle John will help us to then see what that looks like. How do you know? Thousands of years ago, if somebody was a follower of God who was living in the Abrahamic covenant with God, he or she conducted herself or himself in a certain kind of way, practiced certain days of observance, practice certain kinds of rituals, practice certain kinds of worship uh, offerings and activities. Jesus said, not much has changed. You still demonstrate. That you are in covenant with God if you're a part of the covenant that I have established in my death and burial and resurrection. But here's how it looks differently. 1 John chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. There you have it. But let's keep going. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. You might want to underline verse 3. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world... Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, let's think about what was just said. First of all, how do you know someone's a follower of God and is in covenant with God through the atoning death of Jesus? You love other Believers well. And of course Jesus said that multiple times in the Gospels. Here's how people will know you're my disciples. Love one another. Now. How do we love one another well? John says you do that by loving God. How do we love others well by loving God? He said, keep His commandments. We love others well when we love God and obey His commandments. Are you following me so far? I'm going to unpack it a little bit more. His commandments are not burdensome. The Bible declares. You say, that ain't congruent with my own experience. And there's a reason. Our lives are constantly bombarded with messages. Most of those messages, overwhelmingly those messages, are false. They are lies and they are deceptions. The messages that we get from God, through Scripture, from the faith community, are the truth. And we are constantly weighing and evaluating the messages, what's true, what's not true. So, for example, we are constantly bombarded with messages that illicit sex is better than marital, one-of-a-kind, faithful-for-a-lifetime sex. We are constantly bombarded with that Message That is a lie and that is a deception. As long as we have some inkling to believe the lie, the, the uh, commandment that we obey in marital fidelity and faithfulness will feel burdensome. But when you believe the truth and you live the truth, the power of God comes upon you in such a way... That believing marital relations is better than extramarital relations becomes not burdensome. We are constantly bombarded with messages that money is more important than integrity. And therefore, it makes perfect sense to cheat on your taxes. I can get more money that way. Why would I give my money away when I don't have to? I can you know, skirt it around in this kind of way. What's the odds that I'll be audited? But if you believe something else is important, more important than money, it is not a burden to be honest on your taxes. Now, there's a lot of messages that I contend with and that I struggle with and grapple with at some point. But one of the one of the messages that God has helped me to settle in my heart is that money, the uh, issue of money. I have never cheated on my taxes I have absolutely no desire to cheat on my taxes. If someone were to guarantee me that I could do something with my taxes and realize an extra million dollars and no one would ever know, I wouldn't do it. The price that that would exact from my integrity and my honesty before God is not worth it. And that is not a burden to me at all. I am never tempted... To cheat on taxes. And like I said, unless it sounds like too much exaltation for the guy on the platform, I struggle with a lot of other things. That's just one thing that, you know, God has effectively dealt with my heart about. God uses our conversion and our faith to overcome the world. That's how He defeats sin. That's how He defeats deception. That's how He defeats death. With our lives. So we were looking a few weeks ago at how God leveraged the life of Job to defeat the Satan. He still does that with your testimony and your faith. Now, your testimony is not an intellectual belief. I accept these doctrines. Your testimony is your relationship with God as it's lived out loving one another in obedience to His commands. And so I obey what He says about honesty. I obey what He says about faithfulness and fidelity. I obey what He says about generosity. I obey what He says about sacrifice. Giving my life away, esteeming him and other things more important than self. On and on it goes. And the longer we live in the truth and are set free by the truth, the less burdensome the laws and the rules and regulations are that we obey. Does that make sense? You get what I'm talking about? Maybe not. And, And honestly, I'm glad that you're not saying, oh, yeah, yeah, I get it if you don't. So this is an important week for you because as you're reading, you're not only going to want to take in the information. What's a grain offering? What's that grain offering all about? But you want to pray. God, show me Jesus in these things. Show me how all of this is fulfilled in Jesus. Show me how that now as I follow Jesus, you are seen by a blind and deceived world And thereby, their certain and incumbent death is being overcome by my testimony and by my faith. Okay. Here's what we're going to gain as we practice obedience. There are tangible benefits that happen for you and for me when we practice obedience, when we do the things that God says for us to do. And one of those is that it trains our lives. Now, the only way that you acquire a certain strength in the muscles of your body is that you put the muscles in your body through some level of training. They undergo some level of stress so that strength is produced. So it is with your faith. Your faith undergoes some level of stress so that it becomes a strong faith. This is the way Paul talked about that. Philippians 2, he says, as you have always obeyed, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work his good pleasure. In other words, as you, with his grace and help, seek to obey and and just pick out. A command. Just pick out something that you know God wants you to obey. Let's say God wants you to be generous. Let's say God wants you to be sacrificial. Let's say that God wants you to be a person that shares faith. Or whatever whatever the issue is, just pick one of them. Keep running that through that grid. When you are faithful in that, when you are obeying Him about that, He is developing a strength in you through that. To such an extent, He's changing your will... He's changing your want to so that you want to be honest on your taxes. You can't even conceive of being dishonest on your taxes. And you're able to not only want it, but do it. That's the power of his relational impact upon you. That's the transforming thing that he does. A second thing that comes through your obedience is humility. Again, as we always try to say in here, this is vastly different from humiliation. God's not about humiliating you. Humility is very different from that. Humility is a capacity to be God-aware, God-focused, rather than so self-aware and self-focused. It's making much of God and and little or less of self. And the Scriptures make it clear that is like a magnet to God. 1 Peter 5, 5, We're exhorted, clothe yourself with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud and He gives grace to the humble. He's going to give you sufficient grace for everything that He asks you to do, that He commands you to do. You will have the grace to do it. You say, well, I'm not sure I'm getting enough grace. Humility is the key to grace. You're turning to God. You're thinking about God. You're leaning into God to get the grace to fuel the obedience. Another thing that happens when you are obeying is that you are glorifying. You are honoring Him. Now, it's my practice, and it has been my practice for decades, to gather with other believers on Sundays, the Lord's Day, and worship. I don't care where I am, what I'm doing. That's my practice, and I will do whatever I can to gather with believers and worship on the Lord's Day. And not a few times I've been away with family or friends on a vacation. It's Sunday, and it's my practice to go gather with believers and worship. Everybody else may not feel that same way. In fact, sometimes they want to take a vacation from gathering with everybody else and worshiping. Fine. You do that if you want to. I'm going to take the car. I'm going to go away for an hour. I'm going to gather with some believers in whatever city that we're in, and I'm going to worship, and then I'll be right back, and don't worry about it. When people notice some of the practices that are about my life, regular worship, regular gathering with believers, I have a small group that I get with every week, and and I say no to every other commitment on that particular week. I constantly get asked for meetings by the community groups that I'm involved in, and a lot of them follow my, my group night. And I constantly say no. And when they ask me what's up, I tell them I've got a commitment to a small group where we're learning to walk with Christ well. And so on it goes. It p- points to Him, honors Him, glorifies Him, shows deference to Him that He's more important in my life than some of the other things. Uh, the same kind of thing when our kids were coming up and they were, you know, neck deep into sports, with, which meant we were neck deep into sports, and a lot of that stuff would happen on Sundays. We said no to a lot of things on Sunday for purposes of honoring God. First Corinthians six, nineteen and twenty says it this way: Your body is a temple of the holy spirit within you you are not your own for you were bought with a price so glorify god in your body your body's what people can see your body's what goes around with you everywhere that you go so the things that your body is doing and conducting and engaging let it happen in ways that honor him and for, obviously there're certain activities that you can do with your body that don't honor him and so paul said As you're obeying Him, you're learning to glorify and honor Him with your body. And as you obey, it also has this benefit. It brings about an appropriate level of responsibility. We have responsibility, but we don't have all the responsibility. God has a lot of the responsibility. And so when we are obeying Him, it brings about appropriate responsibility. And I wanted to reflect on that with you for just a moment. If you had your Bible open to Leviticus 10, just look back a page to Leviticus 9. Because we're going to read Leviticus 10 in just a moment. But in Leviticus 9, uh, there's a lot of verses talking about um, a certain worship practice happening a certain kind of way. And there's all kinds of steps and, and everything that's involved in that. But... Um, And so Aaron is being careful to do this, do this, do this, do this. I'm not going to go through all that. Pick it up at verse 22. So then Aaron lifted up his hands towards the people, and he blessed them, and he came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting, and when they came out... They blessed the people and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and they fell on their faces. That's what I'm talking about. Appropriate responsibility. What was Aaron's part in all of Leviticus 9? to do the sin offering, the burnt offering, the grain offering, the peace offering, and that all those happen with all the minutiae of detail. That was his responsibility. Was it his responsibility then to bring the fire of God? He couldn't do that. Only God can bring the fire of God. See, that's kind of the deal here right now in this moment. My responsibility is to prayerfully consider... Biblical text that I'm going to teach on a given Sunday, and I work and I study and I pray and I prepare and I write and I do whatever I can to bring it to you as best I can. That's my responsibility. It's then God's responsibility, by His Holy Spirit, to take the same words that I say to a hundred people at one time and to empower it to make sense to a hundred people that are at a hundred different places in life, with a hundred different kinds of circumstances, with a hundred different issues, so that, you know, often when we walk out of here, five different people will say, well, you've been reading my email? You know what's going on in my life? How could you speak so specifically? And all five of those heard something different. That's the only hope that goes with biblical teaching, is that God's Spirit will then take what one guy on a platform says, and implement and apply it to different hearts at the same time. Same thing with your witness. The same thing with your generosity. You you have a responsibility to do a piece, but then God has a responsibility to do something with what you did. It's appropriate responsibility. And then the last thing I'll say to you about obedience is this. When you are being obedient, it brings about an appropriate fear of the Lord. Now, if there's nothing else you're getting out of these Old Testament readings, I hope you're getting this. God is a great, awesome, fearsome God. And it is because of grace and mercy that He allows us to know Him to draw close to Him to have some expression or some experience of even friendship but that does not mean God is our buddy God is our pal we can just kind of hang around with Him and treat Him like we do a buddy. He's still God. And a moment ago when I read to you the verse from Philippians, Paul said, everything that God's working in you, work that out. And what were the words that he said? In fear and trembling. Because even though His grace allows us access to His throne, And even though the price paid on the cross by Jesus allows us to be able to commune and to communicate with Him, He is still a holy God. And when you are obeying Him and obeying Him and faithful to obey Him, it keeps that respect, that reverence, that worship, that fear at an appropriate level. Chapter 10 of Leviticus, Aaron's sons, Aaron the high priest's sons were also priests. And they were doing the priestly duties in uh, the tabernacle and in the gathering of worship. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said, Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And this is one of the dangers that comes with getting closer and closer to God. Is that familiarity can breed contempt. And you can get so familiar with the book and with the offerings, with the worship, with the acts of service. You can get so familiar with that that you can do that in a way Where it's more about you than it is about Him. And you could disrespect Him and dishonor Him. And He will not put up with it. I still marvel, and you'll be getting to this later, that a man like Moses, who arguably knew God better than anyone until the time of Jesus, that the Bible says everybody else, you know, experiences God this way, Moses face to face. And yet he can get to a point in his life after decades of following God and being obedient to God, where he can presume on God and disrespect God in one little instance. And God says, Okay, that's it. No no promised land for you. I still marvel at that. And that causes me to tremble and to fear and to respect and maintain a sense of awe as we are called to do. What are you going to do with all that we've been talking about? All that will be a part of the readings this week? I'm going to suggest these three things. One, will you consider the evidence and will you choose to believe? Everything that we've been reading up until this point has been evidential that God is real, that God is not transcendent and just out there, but imminent and close. He's daily engaged in all the minutiae of life, and He's constantly acting and working, doing His will and accomplishing His purposes. Will you consider all that evidence? And believe. And if you believe, then will you exemplify that? By trusting Him. By obeying Him. Why do you do the things you do? Why do you have the life that you have? Because I trust Him and obey Him. And will you glorify God with appropriate responsibility? Just just in the example of what's going on these days with our world Christian emphasis, we have responsibility. But we don't have all the responsibility. Will you be faithful with your responsibility looking for God to accomplish what God does in His responsibility? Let me pray for you. Father, again, so much... Information, so many things to think about in our crowded minds and in our crowded hearts. And we just pray by the power of your Spirit that you'd make room in us to consider your word, make room in us to consider your will and your ways, and empower and grace our hearts. To be responsive. To say yes to whatever you ask. To show a world your worth by our obedience. We pray in Jesus' name.